Hey, 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 welcome to episode 11 of Playing It Wrong. This episode, it's all about dungeon crawl classics and sharp swords and sinister spells. First up, we'll do that little technical note in case you hadn't heard or seen it run through the feed. Yes, I did upgrade the phone. Yes, I'm going to do a little quick drive-by cast. And yes, I will be commenting on other folks' well, other OSR Anchorite's uh, podcasts. Well, hang on for that. Now, I know both these games have been out for a few years now, both of them. And, well, Dungeon, Dungeon Call Classics, which I'll call it DCC from now on because it's easier, has been out for quite a few years. But let's... I like doing the occasional... Well, I, I like doing the reviewing and talking about things that have been out for a while just because, well, one, some people might still be on the fence, and two, well, with the popularity of 5e now, they might have heard those reviews years ago, and hey, might get somebody else interested in another game. All right, so let's talk about Dungeon Crawl Classics. All right, first we'll do the very quick lightning round overview. Okay, DCC. I'm going to assume you already know a bit about uh, D&D and its main edition, so we'll go the easy way. Three saving throws like 3rd edition, Ascending Armor class, four classes like Old School, Fighter, Magic User, Cleric, Thief, Elf, Dwarf, and Halfling are, are their own classes. There are other classes added by third-party publishers. That is the gist of the game. Oh, yeah, and no skills or feats except for, well, the thief. All right, so let's get on to what makes it interesting and different. All right, the first thing we got to talk about is the funky dice. Yes, not just your normal D4, D6, D8, D10, D12, D20. You got D30, D24, D16, D14, D7, D5, and the D3, which, well, okay, that was not that special, but hey, it's got the funky dice, and it uses all of them, all right? Okay, so let's get on to what makes it really, really different. All right, the first thing is 3D6 in order, live with it. All right, well, that's old school. And it's beyond the little bit of this single episode. I could do a whole episode on is DCC OSR or not. I'm not doing it. All right, <clears throat> 3D6 in order. And then after that, you are a zero-level character. You have four of them usually. And they run through what's called the funnel, which, well, whoever survives ends up trying to be your first-level character. That's the gist of DCC right there. Now what makes it really interesting are the crits charts, the fumble charts, and the spell charts. And this is the bulk of the book. Now there's only one fumble chart, and it's and what you roll is based on what the armor you're wearing. However, there are tons of critical charts. By class, monsters have their own. Each type of monsters have their own. I mean, if a demon hits you hard enough, it can rip the soul right out of your body. No, really, that's, that's on one of the charts. That's on the demon crit chart, if they roll high enough. So, that takes the bulk of the book. What really takes the bulk of the book, really, 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 is the spells. Now, it's kind of a neat system, but also kind of a drag. Every spell has a specific chart. You make a check, and how well you roll depends on whether you cast the spell, you flub the spell, or you totally rock on the spell. That's the big differences. And the magic system is... It's the greatest... And it's the most, one of the most annoying things about DCC. I'll say that right up front. And with all the charts and tables, that's where I have the love-hate relationship with Dungeon Crawl Classics. On the negative side, there's lots of page flipping and referencing the book during play. And that slows down play a lot. Now, there's, there's no denying or debating that it slows down play a lot. Now, what makes it interesting is all those charts and tables, it makes it like the game is participating in the game. 
in that what may be a tough encounter for the party, they mop up in a heartbeat thanks to well-placed crits or, more usually than not, a magic user or cleric just rolling awesome on a spell check. However, the converse is also true that they should be able to walk through an encounter with no problem, and a bad spell roll can pretty much mean disaster, well, especially for the caster and possibly for the rest of the party if things go really, really bad. So, yeah, it's fun. Weird gonzo stuff happens, but it's a little slow. Now, why did I put Dungeon Crawl Classics and Sharp Spells and Sinister Spells in on the same episode? Let me tell you. All right, Sharp Spells and... S <sighs> sharp Spells. Well, I knew I was going to screw something up this episode. Sharp Swords and Sinister Spells is by Diojo Nogziera. And I probably said that wrong, and I apologize. So we'll just say old-school publishing. But anyway, Diojo is also the person responsible, basically, for getting the Portuguese translation of Dungeon Crawl Classics done. And his game, Sharp Swords and Sinister Spells, has the fingerprints of DCC all over it, but in a good way. I don't know, one of my game requests has been to find just the right swords and sorcery, not high fantasy, you know, more Conan-esque type game that fits all my checkboxes in just the right way. And Sharp Swords and Sinister Spells comes out of the top of my list. Now, there's other games that are real high that I'll run or play at the drop of a hat along the same lines. Of course, those are Crips and Things by D101 Games, Barbarians of Lemuria, which everyone's heard about, and there's also the BOL hack or Barbarians of Lemuria hack, which is kind of based on Black hack, but not quite, but it's close, but it's still pretty good. And you can find both those on RPG Now and Drive RPG. All right, so, but yes, Sharp Spells and Sinister Sharp Spells, I keep saying that. I'm sorry, guys. Sharp Swords and Sinister Spells just hits all those boxes in just the right way. So I'm, I'm going to talk about this book a little bit, list this game a little bit. So very, very basically, it is very, very much based, the core mechanics anyway, are based around the role under system like Black Hack. You've got four attributes, physique, agility, intellect, and willpower. These are your four attributes. They're used for skills, they're used for saving throws, you're used for attacks, target numbers for opponents to hit you, because while the players are rolling under as a GM, you're trying to roll over their attributes to hit them or affect them with spells. You've got three classes. Warrior, or basically your fighter, your specialist, which is basically your thief, and your magic user. No clerics. Matter of fact, through the core book and the addendum, which I'll talk a little bit about later, there are only two healing spells I found. One is called Transfer Life. Basically, you suck the life out of one thing and put it in another thing. The other one is called Cannibalize. Yes, it's what the name is. Now thrown into that, you also got the positive and negative die, which is the kissing cousin to the advantage-disadvantage system from 5e. Also, inspired by 7th edition Call of Cthulhu, there's pushing the roll, which lets you re-roll an attempt, and if you fail the second time, you're going to fumble and bad things are going to happen. It has some options to use the usage die from Black Hack, and it uses it specifically for a luck die. You get a luck die based on your class. So, when something lucky happens, you roll it, if it's a 1 or 2, you're running out of luck, and it downgrades a die step. It uses a die chain, see? Just like DCC. And speaking of just like DCC, when you go to zero hit points and your friends kick over your body, you make a luck check, just like Dungeon Crawl Classics. All right, and also just like Dungeon Crawl Classics, the thief is the only one who quickly regenerates luck. Everybody else has to wait till they get back to downtime. 
Of course, there's other ways to get luck, and one of those is during character creation, you can roll on the chart and come up with a complication. Basically, you owe somebody, you're addicted to something, somebody hates you, you have a secret, you have a duty, you just tell the GM, hey, I'm calling my complication, your luck die goes up a step, but it gives the GM free reign to mess with you via the complication sometime later on. Alright, moving on through the core book, core book I've got right here in my hot little hands. Weapons and armor. These are like the key things that everybody buys in every game. But what I like is, like in some games, we just go by weapons and armor categories. Light, medium, heavy. That makes things simple. And I also like, as a house rule, sort of like, make them describe their weapon. Hey, you just got a dagger? No, make it a cool dagger, alright? Make your armor cool. Make your character cool. And a simplified encumbrance system, which there needs to be more simplified. Alright, it's kind of... I'm going to go... Like I said, I'm paging right through the book here. So, now, here's a mechanic I really like. I love the initiative system. It's such a great idea. Because you're not rolling on your agility or dex. It goes by hit die. That's right. Your hit die determines your initiative. Yes, I know. It seems like I'm reading from the book. But this way I don't forget anything like I just did. Because I was going to talk about armor. Now, for this, I like the way it does armor. Where it reduces damage that comes in. But not a set amount. Unless it's light armor, which only reduces one point. Now like medium and heavy armor, medium armor example reduces by one die step. So if your weapon does a d8, you hit somebody in medium armor, it does a d6. Oh, I forgot. I have to go back to character generation. One of the things is added is a vocation. And sort of like DCC, think of it as your occupation, but you don't have to be a turnip farmer. Your occupation could be assassin, ranger, barbarian, whatever. Something more specific that adds flavor to the class. When I start talking about the addendum for sharp swords and sinister spells, I'm going to go into a lot more about vocations and why they're cool. But I want to move on to spellcasting in the core book. So it's easy, a willpower test to do it. Now, once again, we've got the fingerprints of DCC. But instead of making a check, checking a table, and seeing what happens, you get to choose what happens, how powerful the spell it is. That just makes it more difficult to cast. And, well, just like DCC, if you fail, you've got two choices. You can either A, lose the spell for the day, or say, GM, mess with me because I screwed up a spell. Now, if you roll that 20 as roll under, that's a fumble, and there's a separate chart for, well, spell catastrophes. Now, this is a 50 or 70 pages spells. 50 spells, 50 spells. And each one takes up a little bit of a paragraph. And they're straight, they're forward, they don't have a lot of fluff. That way, the players and the GM can throw in the fluff they want for the spells. But they're simple, and they do have a good sword and sorcery vibe, not a, well, not so much a high fantasy vibe. Because like I was mentioning with the healing spells, there are some pretty dark things. There's not a heap load of magic items. Another good thing I like it, and this is one thing I like about a lot of games and why I lean a lot towards old school games, the monster stop blocks are easy. There's, I don't know, the, the monsters aren't numbered, and I'm not going to count them, but it's simple. Name, hit die, special ability, that's it. Monsters don't need an armor class. They just have a hit die. How much damage they do is based on their hit die. And, of course, their special abilities. Leveling up. It works basically like Black Hack, if you've seen that. This time you try to write over a couple stats to see if they go by one, because that's what everything runs off of your stats. Now, uh, one review I saw, uh, who was it? It was Questing Beast who did this on YouTube. Now... Character generation is supposed to be 3d6. So, but however, if you roll a 3 or you roll an 18, you come up with a really, really w bad or really, really powerful starting first level character. So he did make a good suggestion about doing something smaller like 2d6 plus 4 or 2d6 plus 3 
as starting and I may take that as account when I start my campaign I haven't decided yet so that's something I'm still thinking about on how to exactly to do the numbers for character generation all right moving on with the core book we, after leveling up we've got the good old adventure idea generator which is amazingly system neutral and very handy and then that pretty much rounds out the core book which tops up at 44 45 pages plus the OGL now the second book is the addendum which is nearly twice as long and I want to say this up front if you're not thinking about getting sharp swords and sinister spells at least get the addendum there's so much material in here and random charts that you can use no matter what system you're running it's nearly system agnostic it'll work better with old-school games but it's pretty much system agnostic and you'll find so much in there that you could use for other games now let's talk about the addendum the addendum has optional rules and the first one that you come across that is the most handiest, and I just realized that interior cover part in this page is the same as the cover for James Bond's Untold Adventures, which I just got in the mail from Lulu. Anyway, expanded vocations. This takes vocations and makes them even more interesting. It makes them more, if you've had the opportunity to play Fate, make it more like the character's high concept. Because what it does now with an expanded vocation is... Not only do you just say, hey, I'm a barbarian, you can more like make a short phrase that describes your character overall. And when you're doing something, but not combat, that you should be good at because of your expanded vocation, you get a positive die on the roll. However, a good expanded vocation also means that if you're doing something you're bad at, you get a negative die. It's much more balancing and it's much more interesting. Now, going on from there, they use the vocations as an option to do non-human characters because the core book is all humans. And it adds extra rules for little things like languages, zero-level characters if you want to run, similar to a Dungeon Crawl Classics funnel. And it's got strange abilities. Now, these aren't like, hey, I just hit better. These would be considered strange magical abilities. And the basic concept of all of them is... You just don't get them by leveling up. you got to go on a quest, and here's where you go on a quest to get them and what you got to do. Now, we also have rules for sanity and madness, and an option rule for blood, which kind of makes first-level characters, which makes most first-level characters a little tougher, but it doesn't make makes higher-level characters uh, a lot more fragile, where you start off and not use hit points, but instead your physique score is your hit points. If your physique goes up, then your hit points go up. But if it doesn't, well, you're stuck with it. Sidekicks or adventuring companions. And many, many, many. The rest of the book is all, basically, the random charts that you can use for anything. And you've got everything from random life events. What changed since the last time you were in the vil village? Forgotten artifacts. Optional rules to make mobs interesting. That makes mobs make low-hit-die creatures a threat. It also makes the fight go a little bit faster. A neat system for rumors. I'm sure this. I'm not sure if this is pulled from another game or not, but you know for rumors, basically, as a GM, you make up a chart of rumors and you dole them out to the PCs as it comes up. Instead, let the players make up the rumors and then you dole them out when you feel like it. Uh, what else have we got here that's really, really good? Um, a monster generator. Not as complex or lengthy as the random esoteric monster generator but still handy in that sense. Drugs and paraphernalia like that's always in some of the sword and sorcery sales. Rare ingredients, how about spellcasting? True sorcery, oh, which is like 
Well, magic turned up to 11, but then again, so are the costs. Arcane corruption, which, hey, just like DCC. But for this, it's just learning spells corrupts you, not casting them. So, yeah, that rolls it up. Now, whether it make this great? Well, for one, go to RPG Now or Drive Through. The PDFs are pay what you want. And the hardcovers are available on Lulu for dirt cheap. And I think on Drive Through and RPG, you it's sort of pay what you want. But obviously, you have to pay at least the cost of printing and shipping. So they're not high priced. They're not that. And they're small, digest sized books. And to put it bluntly, they're compact, they're rules light, plenty of old school, old school vibe, fast play, and it just hits all of the right, right check boxes for me personally. So I'm glad you've hung out with me this long. It's been a little over 15 minutes on my rants on Sharp Swords and Sinister Spells and Dungeon Crawl Classics. And I still haven't answered the key question that was asked over in the OSR Anchorite community. So what am I doing with it? All right, well, here's what I'm doing with it. I've had this setting, Scarnth, that has been in my head for years now. I've played around with it, I've taken it out, switched this, tweaked stuff around, and it's kind of been looking for just the perfect system. And, well, this is the system for it. Hang on, the dog is barking and I don't know why. As time goes by, I'm going to go into more detail about the setting and stuff. But for this this podcast, I just want to give you a brief overview of my, my inspirations. You know, as I mentioned, the first thing is... Conan, but not necessarily the more of the literary Conan, because I grew up more with Savage Sword of Conan. The comics. Also, of course, Faffer and the Grey Mouse, or Elric. And another thing that I really liked, I, I liked the Sword and Planet. So, a little bit of influence of that. The weird fantasy from Clark Ashton Smith. Some Lynn Carter stuff. And, of course, the, uh, the wonderful movies with the special effects by Ray Harryhausen. And that's pretty much my inspirations are. I'm going to go, like I said, I'm going to go into much more detail on this as in uh, later episodes, okay? And that's because the notes are still getting converted and more ideas are popping into my head, so I want to get things firmed up before I start, like, bragging about it online or on a podcast, as the case may be. All right, I think I've uh, bored you long enough with this episode. Thanks for listening, and hey, subscribe, and you know the deal. Here's the drill. And thanks for listening. Please visit the blog at theymightbegazebos.blog. That's theymightbegazebos.blog. And the letter B, not B, spelled out. Or visit us on Facebook and just search for They Might Be Gazebos. Ask us questions and you might get an answer. If not, we'll just make up the questions and the answers. Remember, roll dice, kill monsters, take their stuff, and have fun. Intro music is Metal Mania by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 Attribution License. Please visit his website at incompetech.com. That's incompetech.com. Really, visit it. There's also downloadable graph paper and hex paper. Additional sound effects from freesound.org, used under Creative Commons 01.0 Universal License.